uh, I don't know why, but salvation becomes a thing of pride. Well, I'm already saved. I don't need to get saved again. And we struggle with it. I did. I doubted my salvation. And, man, it was an issue of pride. And I'm just telling you, don't make it an issue of pride. If there's doubt, talk to somebody. This isn't something you allow pride to get in the way. You, if you're doubting your salvation, you, you, uh, you get it settled. Amen? That, there's not a person I know of that laugh at anyone wanting to get their, their salvation settled. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're still on the subject. Obviously, we're, we're studying ecclesiology or church doctrine, and we've been covering baptism. Baptism. And so I want to ask you a question. And I want you to think about this, because this is, this is a, a question that we could probably put a fill-in-the-blank and put other stuff in, because it seems like most people have, we have our own um, limits on what we would accept or allow, okay? But we don't want anybody to tell us what those limits are. Am I right? Because I'm exactly right. I know I am, because I'm a human too. So here's the deal. Should we just accept, and I know you all know the answer, but I want you to consider this. Some of you don't, may not know the answer, but should we just accept anybody that was made wet after they got saved? doesn't matter, as long as they got dunked under the water. doesn't matter who baptized them. Should we just accept anybody? Okay, so let me just, let me just throw out a, an absolute, ridiculous hypothetical. Somebody truly gets saved, and they get, they get baptized by a Satanist. Are we going to accept that baptism? They get dunked under the water, right? Now, we understand that, right? We understand. Well, of course I wouldn't accept. Okay, but then, then what we're indicating is that we know there's a line somewhere. But where is the line? So, again, we're under, well, of course it wouldn't be a Satanist, you know. So where is the line? What's funny is, is as humans, we try to figure out the line. We try to try, start, try, to start deciding the line. Well... We can't accept, you know, because if they're not dunked, well, then, of course, that's a big one. So we have to be able, you know, there are some Catholic and Orthodox churches that still dunk. So you can accept that one. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so, so we, we keep, and, I, and I'm not going to try to make this big, long thing about, well, these people that, and these people this. Let's just kind of look and see if the Bible gives us some indications as to what the proper administrator of baptism would be. Okay, is that, does that sound fair? Does the Bible give us some indicators? And as you all just admitted, that we do have a line. There is a line somewhere. We acknowledge it. Where is the line? Well, we probably ought to let the Bible assign that line. And I'm just telling you, on all issues, if you know there's a line, but you don't want somebody else setting it for you, why don't you admit that you, you might have a pride issue at the moment, and what you need to do is you need to get into Scripture and find out if God has some sort of a line. Amen. Amen. And usually it's the areas that we want to call gray areas that we get a little fussy on, okay? So we'll, we'll, but we'll talk about that. So why would we say it? So I'm going to say this. We, we understand, you know, open and closed and close communion, right? We kind of understand the basic idea. Open communion, if you claim to be saved, come on in and have, have communion with us. We're not going to look. Closed is, um, is what we are, absolutely only the members of this church. Uh, and close would be only the members of this church or someone who is visiting who we know to, or at least claims to be a, um, uh, a, a 
baptized believing member of a church. Okay, And we're not, we're not talking about the Lord's Supper right now. We are closed. But in essence, you understand that the same thing applies to baptism. I've never really thought of it till walking through and rereading. Um, I've kind of skipped it before looking through this, this particular curriculum, but because it didn't make sense to me, I don't know how, but it's certainly clear. Open baptism means if you got baptized, it don't matter by who, come on in, we'll accept your member. We'll accept you as a member. Okay? Uh, just as long as it's by immersion. It has to, has to be dunked because of baptism. And then there is closed baptism. Okay? What would that mean? In other words, we are only going to accept baptism that fall on the biblical side of wherever that line is. Does that make sense? Okay. So then, so then we have an issue. If we realize that we won't accept certain people's bap, bap, having baptized, but we will accept others, then there is an authority implied there. Somewhere somebody has an authority to baptize. Because other people, we wouldn't recognize the authority in their baptism, correct? You connect the dots? Well, we're not going to accept that baptism. Why? Because it's, it's not only is it improper, it's the, it's, there's no authority there, okay? And, and I'm going to get the authority issue on purpose. As a matter of fact, even some of this curriculum, sometimes people go over the top trying to make an argument out of this, and I think it's a lot simpler, uh, lot simpler than we make it. Probably the hardest question is, and turn to Matthew chapter 28. That's where we're going to be starting at least. Matthew chapter 28 is in the Great Commission. And uh, this is kind of the first, first set of questions we have to look at here, okay? And we know this isn't the only place, and it's, of course it's not the only place that, uh, that the authority issue is mentioned, but we're going to start with it here. So we want to look at this question. Where, who has the authority to baptize? Whose authority should we recognize as a proper New Testament authority to baptize? So in Matthew 28 right here, okay, uh, we go down to the last three, we go down to the Great Commission. We'll start in verse 18. So Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me, Jesus says, in heaven and earth. Go on the basis of my power. Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now, we understand that this is, a, this is a go ye therefore. This is an imperative. This is Jesus' orders to the 12 men there, okay? This are, these are orders. These aren't suggestions. These aren't things that maybe, you know, if you feel like it or if you're good at. No, these are orders, you understand that, right? Everybody here? This is what you got to do. Now, here's the question. Who did he give it to? Who? Now, I understand, well, the 12 apostles, no duh. Okay, well, let's just pause and think about it, because if it's the 12 apostles, then the Great Commission means nothing for us today. We have, there's no need for us to go out and preach the gospel to anybody because it was the 12 apostles' job. You understand what I'm saying? If he was giving it to these 12 as the 12 apostles, then it's literally, it's only for them. It's not transitioned to the church, okay? And when they die, it's dead. 
But we have a problem, don't we? Because in the Great Commission, he says, I am with you, plural, always, even unto the end of the... So has anybody heard Peter preach lately? Okay, so then it can't be the 12 apostles. Also, while the apostles did get into much of the known world, they did not get to all of the world. So therefore, they did not fulfill the Great Commission. I mean, that, that just, just use some logic if it's the 12 apostles. Well, who else was standing there? Well, I'm not saying it was a different group of men. I just think we need to pay attention to what these men represented. Okay? Now, so we can look at it literally as, there's really only three ways to look at it. Number one is given to the apostles, and I think we pretty much kind of blew that one up with just a little bit of thinking. Now, again, what if he just gave it to individual believers? Well, we have another problem with that is because he doesn't, he doesn't use uh, singular pronouns here. He uses plural pronouns, okay? So he's speaking to a group, so that's kind of one issue. Go ye, it's a plural, into all the world. Go into all the world. Well, here we have another problem. Uh, Greg, how come you haven't been in Tibet? If it's given to individual, let's just be honest, if it's given to individual believers, then what are you doing sitting here? You should have knocked every door here, and then in Twin, and then in Idaho, and then in the United States. It was given to individual believers. Can you fulfill that? No, you cannot fulfill that. So we're left, we're left with only one other option, is that these 12 represent some sort of an organization that, at least in the realm of time, lives in perpetuity. So what organization can you all think of that Jesus might be connected to that these 12 men also might be connected to that might last to the end of the world, which is the what? The age. What would that, what would that organization be? The church, okay? This was given to church. Now, get, you understand, there was only one church right here. I'm not saying universal. We've got to get that out of our head. Just start getting rid of universal church. Start replacing that with the kingdom of God, okay, or the family of God. There was only one church in existence when Jesus ascended to heaven. One. The church at Jerusalem, these 12 men and the 120 there that were later, uh, these are the faithful 12, and there were 120 others on the roll. That, there's only one. You understand that? In the whole world, there's only one New Testament church right here. Okay? And so he gives it to that one. That one then starts others. And this is important, okay? So it's kind of interesting. Jesus, now, pause. What did Jesus say? All power is given unto now, power is not just, he's not just talking about physical or spiritual power. He's referencing authority there as well, is he not? Because by the name of that power, he says, go ye. <laughs> I have power, you go. And what is he telling the, this, the church to do? Baptize, right? That's one of the things he's saying. We're talking about baptism, I'm not going to whole thing. I want you to baptize. So Jesus somewhere got the authority to baptize. Well, of course, he's God. That's not where he got it. That's not where he got the authority to baptize. Very interesting. If you So where did that authority come from? Okay, I'm glad you asked. Turn to John in chapter 1. Turn to John in chapter 1. And that is Acts. John in chapter 1. Okay, so we have, this is the story of Jesus getting baptized there and starts in uh, 
verse, well, at least part of it. So here, verse 29, it says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And this is John the Baptist talking. He says, This is he of whom I said, and he starts talking about this is the one I told you would come. And then in verse 32, he references what he, what he saw at Jesus' baptism. And look at verse 33. This is still John the Baptist talking. And I knew him not. He didn't know who he was until. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. Now, I think it's pretty obvious who had the authority to baptize here and who, who gave him that authority. God did. So the man on the planet that had authority from God to baptize is John the Baptist. Now, why is that important? Well, I think you all probably, some of you already know where I'm going, and some of you maybe should know where I'm going, but so while you're right here, just turn over to, um, oh, let's see here. I, I want to I just stay right here, I think, just for the moment. No, I think it, this, this is not it. And I don't, have the, I don't have the right passage written down. I got every other passage but this one. So let me get over here. Um, pretty sure we're back here in Matthew. Okay, yes, Matthew chapter 3. My notes jump ahead to some other stuff, and I, I want to make, I'm going to walk through this nice and careful. So Matthew chapter 3. Okay. So again, we've got John the Baptist as kind of the primary figure, some of these, uh, in this short passage. Okay, so we get here to verse 13. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 13. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John, to be baptized of him. Again, why in the world does Jesus need to be baptized? And that's what John thought. Look at verse 14. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. You see that? Fulfill all righteousness. What is he saying? He said this is the right way to do it. This is the complete and proper way to do it. Well, why would that be? Because who had the authority from God to baptize? Who was the one man on the planet who had the authority from God to baptize? John. John. Okay? And so Jesus, listen, Jesus submitted to John. Why? Because John had the authority to baptize. And he said, here's John looking at it logically like we would. Wait, I know who you are. (laughs) This is kind of backwards. This is kind of backwards, you asking God, asking a man for baptism. And Jesus responds, no, that's irrelevant. Well, we need to do it this way to fulfill all righteousness. And then now you have the ability of Jesus, and even it says, I think it even says later, I don't remember what passage that is, but remember uh, how that they found out that Jesus had made more disciples than John had made and baptized. And then in parentheses it says, but Jesus didn't baptize, but his disciples well, where did they, but it says Jesus is the one who baptized them. Why? Where did that come, authority come from? John to Jesus to the disciples. 
Okay? So we have, we're finding a line of authority here. You see that? We're finding a line of authority. Now, how do we know that this is authority? Well, this is really interesting. So while you're in Matthew, turn over to chapter 21. This is great stuff. I'm, uh, this is that stuff that just, when you start looking and, and you want to find answers, and then you start finding the, you look, look for something specific and then start finding answers. Not because I, I believe this verse says, but you're saying, there's a, there's a pretty clear line of progression here. So Matthew chapter 21. You know, this is the triumph. We've had the triumphal entry. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the Sanhedrin are leaning really hard on Jesus, trying to get him to mess up because they want to get him. They want to get him to an execution error. They want to be able to execute him. So here in Matthew 21, we're in the middle of a lot of those, a lot of those questions. So we get to verse 23. Okay, and when he Jesus was coming to the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, by what? What's the word? Authority. Okay, now, so we have the topic of what the question is going to be about. Doest thou these things, and who gave thee this authority? So the, the, where'd you get this authority? Now, listen to Jesus' answer. And Jesus answered and said unto them, I will also ask you one thing, which if ye tell me, I and likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. Whence was it? From heaven? Or of men? He's asking a question of authority. Who gave John authority to baptize? He is, he is in the same topic. He's not left the topic. He's not going, he, he didn't catch a question and go, oh, right angle, let's go talk about something else. No, he is, he is still in the topic of authority. Where did John's authority come from to baptize? Okay. And, and, if, and they said, they reasoned within themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, again, indicating authority, he will say unto us, Why did you not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. Right, yeah, because John got it from them. And, then, and they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And he said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. <laughs> he has never left the topic. You, you see that? So he, he is telling us, that John had authority to baptize, and so now we start getting the connection of why did Jesus submit to John's baptism? Because even Jesus recognized that God had set an order on the planet. Now, I want you just to consider that, okay? Was John the Baptist perfect? No. Was he a sinner like all people? Matter of fact, even in the life of John the Baptist, we find him beginning to actually have some doubt about the very person that God told him the signs of what would be Jesus. He baptized him, and a little bit later in his ministry, he begins to doubt that very same truth that he was told by God would be that truth. You know? So we find out John's a human. Now I want you to think about this. Jesus submitted to human authority, fallible authority, listen, because it was what God intended, not because the authority was better than he was. So just when you start, it's just kind of a little side note, but when God, puts a, uh, when God puts an order of authority in place, he's not putting that order of authority in place based upon the qualities of the man in that authority. He's putting that, place, that order in place because that's how he wants it done. And that's how we as humans are going to find the most fulfillment and peace from life is by slotting into our place in authority. 
So always raging against the machine is just going to get us fighting against the authority structure that God has put in place. Just kind of tossing that out there. So function within authority, you're going to be one of the best. That doesn't mean you can't bring questions. Any authority that can't be questioned, there's a problem. Okay, obviously. But, and by questioned, I don't mean, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> For heaven's sakes, I still, it still cracks me up that um, anybody who has come to me at this church and has questioned something, you know that I have spent time answering that question. Sometimes lengthy, hours and hours and hours talking about the subject. And there's others who say, oh, I, I've heard it from, I heard about every preacher that there is. Well, he's unapproachable. No, you just haven't approached. Just go like this. You just haven't approached, okay? Bring your questions. Bring your questions. That, there's nothing wrong with that. That, there's, that is appropriate. And sometimes even preachers are going to look at you, and Brother Chester will admit this, but sometimes we look at you and go, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. I've got the same question. So, anyways. But I certainly, if I can't get it for you, I'm going to go look and see if there is one. But anyways. So, we have this line of authority. So, Jesus obviously thought authority in baptism was important. So much so that when they questioned his authority, he turned right back and used John's authority as the example by which he said, Listen, where did John's authority come from? Uh, 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 we're not going to answer that question. We plead the fifth on the <laughs> grounds that it may tend to incriminate us. And Jesus says, well, fine. I'm not going to tell you where I got my authority. Because the answer is in the, answer's in the question. Where did you get your authority? Where did John get his authority? He is pointing right at where his authority came from. I mean, this is, this, this is amazing. That's just crazy. So, so we understand then, then the Great Commission had to be given to an institution or an organization Okay, not individuals or believers, and there was authority that was transferred through John the Baptist. Okay, think about this. Even when, when Judas uh, betrayed the Lord and went out and hung himself, and then they had to vote, and they chose two men, and what were the requirements of those two men? They had to assemble with us, what? From the baptism of John, which means they had to pick someone else who had been baptized by John, okay, and was with them, they kind of generally with the group the whole time through that three and a half years of the ministry of Jesus. Okay? That was the, that was the general ex, ex, expect, expectation. They went all the way back to John's authority in baptism to find the replacement apostle, if you will, for the twelve, the number of the twelve, uh, after Judas was gone. So John the Baptist had heaven's authority. He then gives that authority, that passes on to Jesus, uh, as he is baptized, and as you know, some of you even know the story about John's disciples. John told them, go after him. You follow him. So some of those first disciples, matter of fact, all the first disciples of the apostles, baptized by John and then given to Jesus by John. So the, those members, if you will, the, the, I'm not, it's hard to call them members because it's like the building blocks of the church. The building blocks that, that John the Baptist had gathered, the, church, the building blocks for the church that John had gathered, were given to Jesus, and Jesus is the one who formed it into the structure that we have today. I mean, a, 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 he is he's the one that put that together. Now, let's add to that a few things. Do you notice that every time Paul goes out on a missionary journey, and I'm not going to spend time going, read the book of Acts. Paul goes out on a missionary journey, he preaches the gospel, they baptize, they ordain elders, and when he's done, what does he do? 
He goes back to the church that sent him, and he reports. You hear that? Now, why would he report? Because he's answerable. Now, what does that imply? Authority. So when he's gone out there and he's establishing churches, he's going out under authority. So again, that baptism is under authority. For instance, if we were to start a church, if we were to start a church, and Lord, I, I very much would like to get involved in church planning in the state of Idaho. Uh, well, all over if you ask me, but certainly in the state of Idaho. Let's just pick a town. Let's just say, I don't know, give me a name of, we'll go to, where shall we go? Stanley. We'll go to Stanley, because I don't think there's a Baptist church in Stanley anymore. We're going to plant a church in Stanley. We're going we're to start one up there. Well, we're going to send somebody up, and we are going to give them the authority to, A, preach the gospel, B, baptize believers, and C, teach those who are, teach those who are believing and see if a church can be established. All the while he's baptizing them, there's no church there. So they're going to be baptized. They're going to fall under our authority because as of right now, they're just a small group of believers that are not a church. Okay, you get that picture? When they tithe, technically it's to us, but we will actually leave that money in their account. They will use it to, to spend for their expenditures. When they are ready to be on their own and they have a pastor and they have a membership, we will go and charter. We will establish, we ordain elders, okay, we will establish that church, and then people who get baptized, they'll be independent, indigenous, on their own. Now they're baptized as members of that church. So you get the picture. There's always authority connected here. Peter, think about Peter when he went to preach, at, to, preach to Cornelius. Um, he brought with him men from the church apparently at Joppa. And it, it seems to be in the passage that they were the ones that baptized Cornelius and his group. I mean, just really interesting Ananias baptized with authority. He baptized Paul. So Paul came in. Notice, if you go back, it's in Acts chapter 9. Read it sometime. You know, Paul gets knocked off his horse. He gets blinded. He gets sent into Damascus. And Ananias is sent. There is a church in Damascus that Paul is going to destroy, or Saul at that time. Ananias is sent by God. Perhaps he's the pastor. I don't know. He speaks with the wisdom of a pastor. He might just have been a believer. He shows up. He, he uh, explains a little bit more to Paul. He baptizes him, and, it's, and it indicates almost immediately that he was joined with that assembly. So that again, we have, we have some sort of authority there. I mean, there's, there's constant back and forth. Uh, Philip was an evangelist out of a church, okay, and a deacon of a church when he went to preach to the Ethiopian eunuch and baptized him. So again, we've got, we've got all these connections, or it could be, so... Baptism, who has the authority to baptize? Well, we've already talked about independent Baptist churches, okay? We're all independent, and God is the head of each church. There's no universal church. God can be the head of each church just as easily as he can be the head of each person. And so when people are baptized, or who has the authority to baptize? Every New Testament church that has received its authority from a New Testament church has authority to baptize. Does that make sense? Uh, we, we've even looked at, I, I remember e- even looking back at the beginning of this church, there was a, how this church was started, and how, you know, well, there were some questions about, you know, did it, was, it, was there authority there given? Was it a bit of a split? And I remember going out and talking to a lot of other pastors and asking questions like, you know, is there something we should fix here? And the, the, the common theme was, your church's baptism is now consistently recognized as a, as a 
as a church with authority to baptize, and they're accepting it. So the given, the given recognition of authority grants authority. That's how we've looked at it. Otherwise, I would have went back and replant, restarted the church. <laughs> I would have, definitely, just to be sure that we were biblical. Okay? So how does God work in the planet? He works through his, what's this? Churches. He works through his churches. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Okay? The, um, the body responsible for sending forth evangelists. The body responsible for sending forth missionaries. The body responsible for the ordinances. Okay? This organization has to be the organization that was talked to the twelve. And now churches... We, we, we have to be very careful just about accepting, well, they got dunked. Well, what's a New Testament church? I'll tell you, you want to get really tight on it. Uh, there are no Protestant churches that we would accept their baptism. None. Period. Gazilch. Why? Because where did they get their authority from? Where, is the, where does their authority extend back to? It extends back to the Catholic Church. Okay. Most, while there are some Protestant churches that preach the gospel, uh, certainly not all, and even the Missouri Synod, like of, of the Lutherans, which is the most conservative uh, wing of the Lutherans, still you have to listen hard to, preach the, to hear the gospel in a church like that. Not that they don't know it, but I mean, my dad grew up in a Lutheran church. A Baptist preaches the gospel one time, he goes, oh, that makes perfect sense. Grew up in a Luther, Missouri Synod Lutheran church, a good Missouri Synod Lutheran church. We, we, want, we want not just the right doctrine, but the right authority. Not just the right doctrine, but the right authority. Okay? Now, let's just, let's just think here a sec. What would be the consequences? I just want you to pause and think about not having a line. There's no line. I mean, apart from what would just make common sense to us, like we're not taking, we're not taking Satanist, you know, and they have to be dunked. What would be the problem? What, what, what would be some of the issues that would happen? Well, this is real simple. Some of the results of open baptism would be this. A real problem with doctrinal agreement. Because we would accept people into our membership who have been perhaps say maybe they got saved in, a, in the Church of Christ. Well, I don't know if you know this or not, but the Church of Christ and the Baptist Church, this Baptist Church, do not share the same doctrinal values. But they bring with them the doctrinal values from the Church of Christ, and then we rubber stamp approval on that by accepting them as members. Okay, listen, what if they come from the Methodists? What if they come from the Pentecostals? That means, let's say we had a rotating junior church schedule. So one, for one Sunday, all of our kids are getting taught by the Church of Christ people, their doctrine. The next Sunday, they're all getting taught by the Lutherans and how they've been raised. And the next Sunday they'll be raised by the Methodist people and how they were raised. And can you see, can you see what I'm talking about? We're going to start getting some confusion in the ranks. This is, it can create a, and actually end up causing some bitterness because we end up being the arbiters of the line. Well, we're not accepting yours. You accepted theirs? You hear what I'm saying? You say, well, that just sounds rough. Oh, trust me, I... I'm the one that has those conversations. I'm the one that sits with people and says, so tell me about your salvation. and Where were you baptized? What's funny is often when I ask about salvation, people start talking about their baptism. And I'd say, your baptism is not your salvation. Oh, I, I, I know. No, you understand. There's, there's, 
Those are two events, and they're both important, but they're, the only reason they're connected is because you get baptized after you get saved. Tell me about your salvation. So then we have an opportunity to give them the gospel again. And then my next question will be is, where did you get baptized? And then I have, and I have had multiple conversations, multiple of these things. And you just learn how to have these conversations and not be like, well, it's our way or the highway. If you're not going to join us, then we don't care. <laughs> like, that's great, you know. <coughs> so, there's all sorts of things. Has anybody here ever been a member of any sort of club or maybe a union or something? Yeah, probably government. Did you have to pay dues? What, did you have to follow some rules? Yeah. Does anybody, nobody else? Not, not even when you're a kid, you didn't join a boys club up in a tree house, for heaven's sakes? Serious? You guys? Oh, there we go. Okay. Yeah. And guess what? You know, no girls allowed. Do you know what I'm saying? If you go join the Elks, guess what? There's going to be some expectations. Okay, how about let's... let's uh, does, how, how many of you here just love wearing polyester? But if the only job you could get was at McDonald's in their uniform, which is a polyester polo, and they told you to wear a polyester polo, would you happily wear a polyester polo to have a job? Yeah. You're going to wear our hat. Dakota works at Jersey Mike's. He wears their shirt. He has to buy a certain pair of shoes. He, he has to buy a certain cut, color pair of pants. He has to wear their hat, their apron, and, and if it wears out, he got to get some more. <laughs> and it's funny, when it comes to a job, I don't think nothing of it. My dad worked in the automotive industry in the 90s and the 2000s, where not only did they have a dress code, they, they would tell you what color to wear. You could wear, blue, you could wear any variation of blue, gray, and, and yellow. Yellow could not be your pants or jacket. Your, your jacket or pants had to be blue or gray, and your tie could be yellow, blue or gray, and a white shirt. And that was across the board in the automotive industry if you were an executive. Across the board. It didn't matter if you were male or female. That's the colors you got to wear. Well, yeah, I'm going to be an executive for Ford. Of course, you know, you're going to pay me six digits a year. I'll wear whatever you want. It's funny we don't think about that. But when it comes to baptism, listen, and be careful about this, People start connecting baptism with emotion because it's an emotional time. But we have to help them disconnect the emotion of it from the doctrine. The doctrine is what we are based on, not emotion. Amen. It can be emotional. That's great. For some people, it's a wonderful thing. You know, I remember watching the little kid. He was so excited, he launched off the steps and did a cannonball into the baptistry. You know, great. That's great. But he he wasn't dunked because he did the cannonball. He was baptized because the pastor baptized him, okay? Does everybody you know something? So how I present it to people is, listen, when you, when you join the Baptist church, you have to understand you are identifying with who we are, with what we believe. Well, I got baptized just like that, yes, but where you are, do you believe you can lose your salvation? Well, it's really hard, no. Do you believe you can in some way lose or reject your salvation? Well, yeah. We don't believe that. That's not the kind of doctrines we have, and that's not the Jesus that we serve. So when you, when you align with us, you're aligning with our doctrines, with the doctrines of the New Testament church, and you're aligning with this group of people who believe in a saved, who, a, a Jesus who was, who was crucified on the cross, dead and buried and rose again. You're identifying with this group of believers. Amen. That's very important. Now, 
just kind of off the wall, but you understand then, and this is often misunderstood, if, if the authority was given to the 12 then as the institution, the church, okay, the church, listen, the church has the authority to baptize, not the pastor, the church, okay? That, that, that authority is functioned through the pastor as the primary representative of the church and the one who is expected then to make sure everyone is, is doing the right thing here. But you know what that also means? And I'm just, I'm just throwing this out again as a, as a possible, but what if some little girl comes up and her dad's been a, a deep, faithful deacon in the church the whole time and she asks, can daddy baptize me? And he's saved, member of the church. The church, if they choose to, can grant him authority to baptize his daughter because it resides in the church, not in the pastor. Okay, is everybody here? Now, that should be a rare thing. Uh, as a matter of fact, some churches that are larger, when we were members at Southwest, some of you guys who went to Heartland might, might remember this, but when you're at Southwest, there was one, pastor, one of the assistant pastors, he did all the baptisms. Why? Because the pastor wanted to be at the back saying goodbye to the other 2,500 people that were there and making sure he's greeting the visitors. And there's another pastor up there who's baptizing, who's baptizing and sometimes with, with uh, some of the bus kids, it could be 12 or 15 kids sometimes, 12, 15 people in one baptism service, you know. So how's the pastor supposed to do all that? So they assigned him the authority to baptize. So again, that was a church vote. Uh, and I remember some of those votes. We're going to assign this man authority to vote. We do the same thing. Uh, we do the same thing for uh, Luke, okay? Luke uh, is, he believes, at least as a parent, that he's called to preach. He certainly has some gifts uh, to present the gospel or present the word from the pulpit. And we, we as, as the men, the men of the church, have granted him church authority twice for him to be able to go and perform a wedding because someone specifically asked for him to do the wedding. Well, in the state of Idaho, there has to be church authority behind that. So we grant him church authority. Does that make sense? Okay. So authority to baptize. The authority to baptize lies in a local New Testament church, which in this day and age... In this day and age, that is about 99% Baptist. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to go to say that it's only Baptist, but pretty much across the board, across the world, that is Baptist. Uh, that name may change in the future. We have been called by many other things. I don't see why Baptist is a good name, although there's been some people doing their awful best to destroy it of late. But let me, let me finish with one example, and, uh, and we'll be done, okay? The Youngs. The youngs in, in Russia, right? They just received their, their permanent visa, okay? We understand it's a permanent visa. So are they now Russian citizens? No, they have a permanent visa. So can they vote? No. Well, why not? They're not Russian citizens. Now, could they become Russian citizens? I'm pretty sure Russia is, is receiving quite a few numbers, especially from some of the war-torn areas around them, is receiving people all the time seeking Russian citizenship. And I'm sure, just like us, Russia has a, an organized plan of how to become a Russian citizen, and you have to jump through some hoops and probably pay out some dinero or rubles or whatever it is they have in, 
What is, what is Russian currency? Do they use the euro? I didn't think so. What's that? Rubles? Okay. I mean, just like here. I, I got a friend that came from Mexico, and she spent, I think, two years and about two grand uh, to go through the process. And she, I'm telling you, some of us would benefit from going through citizenship classes because she had to memorize the Constitution. Uh, she had to be able to answer all sorts of questions about our government, how it was run, uh, the line of succession of presidency, like I think three and four deep she had to know. It was amazing all the stuff she had to know. I'm like, there's some of those questions I'd be going, trying to remember my ninth grade civics class. You know? What's that? Well, yeah, I did too. But I'm telling you, what they have to know is beyond. I, I mean, I can't remember some of that stuff. That was 40 years, 30, 35 years ago. That would be good. That'd be good. But you understand, she had to, to come here, she had to give up her Mexican uh, citizenship because she could not be a dual citizen. And now there, there is a possibility of dual citizenship for some, but she had, to, she had to turn away from the one and turn to the other and accept the rules and things. So, I mean, the, the, we're, the humans are used to this concept. This is not a new concept, okay? The reason baptism is so touchy for some people is because for most religions, baptism is tied so tightly to their salvation as to be indistinguishable. Their baptism is their salvation. Or the baptism was the thing that made them safe or whatever. Okay? Instead of just being a picture, it was sacramental. It had, it had salvific power to it. And so part of being a Baptist is understanding salvation has no, or baptism has no salvation power. It's, a, it's, a, it's something I do as an answer of a good conscience to God once I become a believer. Amen. It's the first order to a believer, to be baptized. It's not part of my salvation. It is something that's a result of my salvation. And so that's why we spend time with people when we talk about baptism and why I don't accept everyone's baptism, why some people do have to get re-baptized. What are you emphasizing that for? Because that's what we used to be called, the Anabaptists. In other words, the re-baptizers. Because we didn't accept anybody's baptism, and we, and we still shouldn't. So we have, we have to be cautious and careful. We are not ecumenical. We are not. We, we, are not, we are not in agreement with all other religions. And I'll just tell you, this church is not Protestant. I'm not saying there's not other Baptist churches that are. We are not. We are not a Protestant church, okay? We are not Protestant. Baptists have... The true New Testament churches have never been connected with the Protestants. We've always been separated. That's not saying there isn't a group of Baptists who aren't Protestant, because there certainly is. They act like Protestants, and they teach like Protestants, and they are Protestant. But we are not. This church is not Protestant. We are independent Baptist. And uh, I even have friends in the military that had to fight to get that on their, on their dog tags. No, I'm not Protestant. I'm independent Baptist. You put it on my dog tag, and they will. For, for military, because, I, no, I am not. I'm not Protestant. I'm independent Baptist. Put it on there. And so they do. So just kind of an interesting thought. That's one of the reasons we're so careful. So authority in baptism. Who has the authority? Who's the administrator of baptism? And it is, the, it is a New Testament church, and in this day and age, that is predominantly Baptist. Predominantly Baptist. All right. So that's, that's the administrator for baptism. Next week, we are going to, we're going to be done with baptism, and now we're going to start talking about the Lord's Supper, okay? And this, again, for some of you all know, the 
open, close, closed, and we'll talk about all that. We are closed. Uh, I, my favorite term is we are closed until the door goes click. Okay? So we'll talk about the Lord's Supper next, next week. Let's, let's pray.